God is moving in so many ways. We look forward to Grace Loves Auburn. How many people here have come to or served at Grace Loves Auburn? All right, maybe half or so. So many people for the first time come to Grace Loves Auburn. It's in August. We really take months and it's all hands on deck. People praying, people serving, donating gifts and items. We don't just give things away, we build relationships. And people get to come in the walls of this church, meet people, experience uh, what God's doing here, and then come back for worship. Uh, sometimes we give them a Bible, pray with them, whatever we can do to meet a need. That's Grace Loves Auburn. And let's continue to prepare for that. Look forward to that. And then this week we have the camp. Mark drove in in the last service in that golf cart and he came in wild style, hit the horn and the horn would not turn off. (laughs) And you can probably watch that video, but he wasn't sure where to run up here or try to fix the horn. The horn would not turn off. So he just backed it up through those doors, backed it outside and they got the horn off. But I wasn't sure if that horn was just going to go all week long. We're ready. We're ready. It's wild. Whatever happens. So this is it. Uh, You just... Put on your seatbelt and dive in. Uh, But please be in prayer for this week as well. And so many things happening. Baptisms. Can we praise the Lord for Reuben and that step of faith? Uh, Last night, Jonathan was baptized. Jonathan was someone who grew up going to church, but never really understood the gospel. Then served in our military, hit some real low points in life, and realized not that long ago that he was getting interested in God and thought there's something missing in his life. So he went back to the Bible, saw the principles, and just started trying to live by the principles. And someone invited him to grace just about two months ago. And he really understood and heard that it's through grace. It's not earned. It's not just principles and performance, but it's through grace. In the gospel, as Jesus died for our sins, he's risen. And Jonathan put his trust in the Lord, and he was baptized last night. Just awesome. We thank God for all the ways that he's changing our lives as well. We are in a series right now, the highlighting, listening to God. We are in Malachi chapter 3. You can open up there if you brought a Bible or find it on your phone. And today we're going to talk about the wisdom of preparation, spiritual preparation. Right now, if you were going to summarize Malachi chapter 3, God is saying, get ready. Get ready for what I'm about to do. Spiritual preparation and the wisdom that is included in spiritual preparation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can come to you as we are, loved. Lord, we thank you for your promise that if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And we're not here just to sit in chairs or hear music. Lord, we have a deep need in our souls, and it's to meet with you, the living God. Lord, you're our healer, our strength, our rock. You're the only one who can really change our hearts. And Father, we pray by your presence and power today that we would leave very differently than when we came in. We pray for your love, your vision, your purpose in our life to be so evident. And we pray we would unite together in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to grow in your faith or are you content with the status quo? Which one for you, grow or status quo? If you kind of not sure, you'll probably end up with status quo. It's a very intentional decision 
to grow in your faith. Now, as you open up the Bible, this is a golden thread throughout the pages of Scripture from cover to cover, 66 books. And when you look at the Old Testament, you're going to notice there's different genres. God communicates to us in so many different ways, creatively through his word. When you look at the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch, and you're going to notice the character of God. You're going to read books like Leviticus, and you're going to see God's holiness and his character. And then as you continue, you're going to see historical books like Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, and it's important to notice what God has done and appreciate with gratitude, see who God is through what he's done. Then there's wisdom books like Proverbs because we need God to download his wisdom. We make so many decisions. And when you get in the book of Proverbs, you see how God sees life and you see what to do and not do because he wants to protect and provide for us. And then there's poetic books like Psalms and that's the prayers that we would express to God. Communication, listening to God, singing to God. That closeness to God is in the Psalms. In the New Testament, you'll see the Gospels that focus on the life and the teaching of Jesus, and also the epistles, and those are letters. How God communicates to the church then, God communicates to us today. The church, his followers. In this series, we're focusing on the prophets. Malachi is one of the prophets. He's the last prophet in the Old Testament. This is about 400 years before the birth of Christ. Prophets did two things. They were foretelling and they were foretelling. Both are very significant. Forthtelling is when you really speak truth into someone's life. Prophets take us deeper. Sometimes we just want to stay comfortable and a little bit shallow and we have some denial. The prophets break through that and they break us out of a rut and a plateau and they say, let's go deeper. And the prophets bring a message from the Lord that is timely and helps us think through our lives and reconnect with God in the deepest ways. Prophets also are foretelling. Prophets reveal as God reveals to them what is yet to come. The Bible has so much prophecy. All of it has been fulfilled uh, in terms of past promises up to today. And then there's additional prophecy that's yet to happen and will be fulfilled. So it's both prophecy looking back, prophecy looking forward, and prophecy reminds us, gives us comfort that God's in control, that he has a plan, that he is trustworthy. And the prophets do both. They help us see more of the world, see more of the future, see more of God's plan, and they also help us to go deeper with God. If you want to go deeper with God and you want to have a greater vision for God's purpose in your life, then listen to God as he speaks through the prophets. Malachi is a prophet who speaks and the purpose of his message is to build up faith. We have a faith that doesn't just collect dust on a shelf somewhere. We have a faith that leads to action. That's our faith. Faith without works is going to be dead. It's going to be a status quo. It's going to be that plateau. But we want to step forward by faith together and live out our beliefs. We're going to look at three beliefs today that we want to live out together as we walk with God. Here's the first one. We believe purity and repentance make room for God's presence in our lives. Purity and repentance. Now, repentance might sound to you like a churchy word. What does that mean? It means like in your car, when you turn 180 degrees, you make a U-turn. You turn from sin to God. Repentance brings refreshment. Repentance brings revival. We come back to life when we return to God. When we choose purity and repentance, we make room for God in our lives. You might think about your relationship with God like a big house, and you've got a lot of rooms in that house. All of us have a tendency to close some of the rooms, close some of the doors, and say, no thanks, God, I don't want you in here. 
But when we choose purity, integrity, when we repent, we honor the Lord, we're opening up the doors of our house to say, come in, Lord, your presence. We want you. We need you. We want to grow. Take over in your love, your power, your peace. Take over in all the areas of my life. And that's what we want to do together. That's worship. Now let's take a look at what was happening here in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 1. See, I will send you my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men and women who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against your sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. The prophet Malachi is setting the stage, and there's two steps to what he prophesies. I think back to when I lived in Texas, and there was a dance you could learn. It was just two steps. Two steps is how they dance in Texas. I thought, finally, here's a dance. I think I can learn. Uh, two steps. Some of us aren't as gifted in terms of dancers. Prophecy can have two steps. And you think, well, it sounds so simple. Two steps. It was clear, but the people missed it. And this is what they missed. The first step is that there'll be a forerunner, a predecessor. His name will be John the Baptist. And this passage right here, I just love it when you connect the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see how what God says in one book is linked to what he says in another. He's the author of all 66 books. And what's interesting is that Jesus quotes this passage because John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and the people aren't getting it. They're not getting who Jesus is, who John the Baptist is. So Jesus walks them back to Malachi chapter 3, and this is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 9. The people are wondering, who is John the Baptist? Jesus speaks up. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. John the Baptist and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus just confirmed this is John the Baptist, pointed them back to Malachi chapter 3 and said, this is the fulfillment. You've been waiting over 400 years. Here he is, the forerunner of the predecessor. And that also confirms that Jesus is the Messiah. The predecessor and the Messiah are here. And as if that's not enough of an announcement, God knows sometimes we don't always pick up the clues. <laughs> we need it said again and again and clearer and clearer until we finally get it. Jesus also flips the world upside down. And he flips the culture upside down. Even the religious leaders, they thought that this world is about positions and power and climbing the ladder. And Jesus says, no, my kingdom is different than this world. My kingdom is about serving. And the greatest is actually the least. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, then start serving everybody because that's true greatness. So here they're taking it in. John the Baptist is here. Jesus is here. 
The world, it's not like the word, and you got to choose. Which one are you running after? How are you going to live? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And they're taking all this in, and that's the first part. The second part is that the Lord, the one who you're seeking, the one who you desire, the one who you've been waiting for, the Messiah, is here. The Lord will come. The Lord is here as we see that he appears faithfully over 400 years later. Let's say those words together. The Lord will come. Ready? The Lord will come. That was the promise they were holding on to. It was fulfilled. But Jesus in the Bible doesn't come once. He comes twice. Some prophecy has been fulfilled. Jesus, born of a virgin Mary, born in Bethlehem. He fulfilled all the prophecy pointing to his first coming. But there is so much prophecy pointing to his second coming. Let's say that phrase again. The Lord will come. That is our cry. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. As every day we get closer and we have this promise that he will return. And maybe if you've been studying the Bible for a while, you're like, I know this. I know he's going to return. Do you know how many people in Auburn have no clue about his return? That he's returning as the King of kings and Lord of lords, just like they missed the forerunner, just like they missed the first coming. And you say, well, it's clear. It's throughout Scripture. Jesus says it so many times. He will return. Let's say it again. The Lord will return. When you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling defeated and you're just feeling like everyone is just running away and not honoring God, you just say it out loud, the Lord will return. He will return and redeem, make everything right, and this is the next event, eschatologically. These two steps right here, the forerunner, Christ's first coming, Christ's second coming. God has a plan. God's in control. Now that's big picture. Through two metaphors, God brings it back to the right here and right now. And here's the two metaphors he uses. The first one is a refiner's fire. Refiner's fire. Do you kind of feel the temperatures this weekend? <laughs> I mean, refiner's fire. It just so happened that the air conditioning in my car died. And it just so happened that the air conditioning in my office is broken. And we also don't have central air at home. So when I hear refiner's fire, I'll tell you, at about 103 degrees, you repent of some sins. When it hits 109, all sins. You just confess and repent everything. I mean, that'll just search your soul. Refiner's fire. This has to do with metal. People working with metal, you know what's going on here. That fire that refines the metal, and what happens, the impurities rise to the surface when the temperature gets hot. And what's happened in the last year, temperature's gotten kind of hot. There's been a lot of refining. When there's a fire and the temperature picks up, you can start to see what's metal, what's dross. People's character comes out and it's revealed in the fire. In our own characters revealed in the fire. How do we respond when the fire of life starts to really burn? How are we gonna respond, the flesh or the spirit? And those impurities that would come out, they would separate the metal from the dross. And God's saying, that's the work I'm doing in your life to purify you. And the one who works on the metal, when the dross is cleared out of the way, the person who's working on the metal can see their reflection in the metal. And what is God doing in our lives? He's clearing out the junk and the sin and the gossip and the bad attitudes and all the pride that thinks you're better than someone else. He's clearing all that away so he can see his image so clearly in you. 
so people can see Jesus in you. If you combine metal and dross, you want to kind of ride the fence. Sometimes when you're in Bible study, you act this way. Sometimes on Friday night, you act this way. You want to play that game. People aren't sure. Do they see Jesus in you? I think so. Maybe a little, kind of here, but not there. But when that dross gets pulled away and you go yes to the Lord and you're living on the other side of yes, people are going to see Jesus in you. And they're not even going to have to ask a lot of questions. They're just going to see your love and your light. And they're going to say, what do you have? And sometimes they might say, you're so great. And then you say, no, it's actually God's power and my weakness. This is just God working through me. There's no higher compliment that anyone's ever going to give to you than I see Jesus in you. You're never going to receive a better compliment than I see Jesus in you. I see the way he responds. I see the way he loves. I see the way he listens. I see the way he talks. I'm getting to know Jesus by just being around you. And that's why God removes, because he wants to purify us. And then the other one is the soap, the launderer's soap, the cleaning soap. You know, my grandmother, when someone spoke Foul language, right? When someone was cussing, my grandmother would take soap and say, here, suck on the soap. That was grandma's approach. Now, that is not biblical. Don't go out and do that. You're not going to find that in the Bible. I don't think grandma did a research on chemicals. It was just kind of old school. It might have been older than old school. She just pulled out the soap bar, and if she heard you, if she caught you, in goes the soap. Here you go. Suck on some soap. Now, what do you think? Did that change hearts? No, but I'll tell you what, people didn't talk certain ways around grandma. But when grandma's not in the picture, oh yeah, you just say whatever you want. Some people treat God like that. Oh, God's listening to the church, so let's act a certain way. But in the parking lot, when no one's looking, oh, different story. We're not talking a little bit of behavior modification. We're talking about a deep transformation in Christ. We're not talking about cleaning the outside of the cup and then the inside of the cup. No, thanks. No, we're talking about God wants to do a deep transformation. Don't ever be fooled to just think, oh, it's just about attend and give a little and maybe serve if you can. Check, check, check. I'm good with God. God doesn't see that in your life. God loves you right now how you are, but God is committed to a deep work of transformation in your life. And rules aren't going to bring it. It's relationship. The thing that's going to change your heart and you're finally going to love people, and I'm finally going to love people like Jesus loves people, is when Jesus gets in your heart, does a deep transformation, and his love suddenly becomes your love. And now you see everyone differently because you're abiding with Jesus, and God will change your heart. He will. And he uses sometimes the fire of life. He uses sometimes the soap, uh, but not the, the soap on the outside, the deep ones. And then God is going to change people, and he gets real specific about sin. Sometimes we don't like to admit we have any sin. We just don't really confess to God during the week any sin. Or maybe we'd say, okay, yeah, I do a little bit of sin each month, very little amount. A lot of denial going on, right? Or maybe if we really confess, we'll just kind of go quick and broad. Uh, God, you know I sin. And then we move on, kind of general. And, and that might be from a well-intentioned heart, but God's specific with sin. And in relationships, we need to get specific. I'm sorry when I said this. I'm sorry when I did that. That hurt you. That was intentional. That was unintentional, but that was wrong. And I'm sorry. We get specific in relationships. With God, we get specific. God gets specific. He says, this is what I see in the land. I see sorcery. I see magic. I see idolatry, superstition. I see lots of adultery. I see perjury. I see people lying. I see people stealing from one another. I see people underpaying the workers. 
I see people that are cruel to widows, neglecting the widows and elderly. I see people mistreating kids. I see people neglecting kids. I see people depriving foreigners of justice. All these things, they dishonor God. And he's just naming what he sees in the land. And the people knew it because they heard in Deuteronomy 28. God had said it so many times. They knew right and wrong. The problem was not that, oh, I don't know, is this right or wrong? No, they knew right and wrong, and they still did wrong. Have you ever done that? You know right and wrong. Apostle Paul did that. Romans 7, why is it that I know what God wants and I just keep going the other direction? If the Apostle Paul struggles with it, so do we. And God is here to build us up, to change our minds, change our hearts, change the way we treat people. And he starts with the leaders, the Levites, and the leaders first, and all the people, everyone's included. This is what we see with God. He is patient. God is so patient with us. We praise him for his patience. He is merciful and he is gracious. He loves you today exactly as you are right now. He couldn't love you more. He is patient. But he's also committed to our growth. And God purifies. God purifies and God prepares. He doesn't just let us sit in a rut and in a plateau, but he purifies us. He prepares us for, for works that only he has in mind, only he knows, but there's a deep process of preparation for this. When God's going to move in power, he does one of two things. He either moves some people out of the way who have a hard heart. Levites had an opportunity here as the leaders. The people had an opportunity. Some people have a hard heart they're not going to go where the Spirit goes, and God will move those people out of the way. He does it so often in Scripture because they will not go where God wants them to go. And because they won't go, he will move them out of the way. Or the people who are in place and don't have that heart for God, aren't teachable, God will change their heart. And it'll be the same people with a new heart. But when God is going to move, he'll either move the people or he'll move and change the hearts. And we choose how we want to respond and worship to God. And uh, this is our hope right here. Because you say, well, that's intense. Repentance is intense. Deep work's intense. Here's why people don't want to grow. Because there's growing pains. It's way easier to just accept the status quo and say, ah, yeah, good enough, good enough. Holy enough, loving enough, caring enough, share my faith enough, pray enough. It's so easy to just settle in. But God is committed to growth. And here's the basis for our hope. Verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Even if we rebel, even if we ignore God, even if we get distracted, even if we're serving God, in all those times, God is faithful. God is good. God is loving. God does not change. We change. We're all over the map. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. There's our anchor. There's our hope. And we want to make room for God in our lives. It leads to the second belief. We want to live together. We believe generosity changes lives and it builds God's kingdom. Generosity is powerful and it comes from God. Now, there's a pattern in, in this very unique book, Malachi, a conversation with God that happens six times. We get to listen in on six conversations. In all six conversations, this is the sequence. God speaks very clear. Then the people hear God, they know God's word, and they bring pushback. They say, I don't think so. I don't see it. I don't agree. I don't want it. 
And then God speaks again and brings validation, confirmation, and clarity again. That's the pattern six times. We're up to the fifth time that this happens in the book. And let's take a look at verse 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're actually under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And I will also prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. What a promise. God says, return to me, and I will return to you. You know what that promise is for right now? Return to God, and he will return to you. There's uh, every promise is only as good as the person who brings it. And a lot of people have given you promises during your life. But some haven't kept those promises because the promise is only as good as the one who brings it. When God says, return to me and I'll return to you, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, it's a promise for right now as well. And God's vision for the people, because they were in exile, the vision was to return, rebuild, and then revival. That was God's vision And the people missed it. They returned to the land from exile in Babylon, but they didn't return to the Lord. We don't, after the pandemic, want to return to the building, but not return to the Lord. They returned to the land, and then they built. They built a wall. They built a temple. They rebuilt the city, but they were not building up the kingdom. So they returned to the land. They built up materialistic things, but spiritually they were not healthy. They didn't return to the Lord. They weren't building up the kingdom, and they didn't experience revival. And God lays out choices for generations and nations in how we're going to respond to God, and his promises are real. Uh, David, uh, or going back to this denial, and and look at this denial. They say, um, what are we doing? What have we done? And God says, you robbed me. And they say, what do you mean we robbed you? We haven't robbed anybody. What are you talking about? We haven't robbed you. And God says, a tithe. A tithe simply means a tenth. It's a tenth off the top that's devoted to the Lord. And that's not what they were doing. God says, you know, bring the whole tithe. They didn't worship God with the whole tithe. And uh, as you think through that choice that they were making, and really, uh, instead of bringing a tithe, they didn't want to honor God in that way. And uh, if you try to rob someone, you, you've probably seen people in the news trying to rob a bank, trying to rob a store, all right? That's not wise, uh, but some people get away with it. Or rob a house, and some people even rob family members. Again, not wise. But who thinks they can rob God? I mean, robbing so many places and stores and people, that's one thing. But rob God? And that's what they were doing. So God's very specific with them. I want to make it clear. God does not need our money. God has all the money he needs. He is not sitting back thinking, oh, you know what? If we don't get that $10 this week, if this person doesn't give that $20, the kingdom's not going to be built up. The gates of hell will prevail. I mean, we're struggling unless that money comes in. That's not our God. And also, it's important to note that everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have. Let me ask you, how much did you enter this world with? What did you bring into this world? All of us, same thing, we brought 
nothing into the world. Now, how much are you going to take with you as you leave this world? The same amount you brought into this world, it's nothing. So for a very short time, maybe 100 years, maybe 50 years, maybe 10 years, we have been given gifts. God has deposited his gifts. And some people say, well, it's my money. I worked hard. Say, yeah, you did work hard and commend you on working hard. But who gave you the health? Who gave you the job? Who gave you the motivation? God has given you everything. And it looks a little strange when the one who gives you everything, you would turn back and say, no, it's all mine. I earned it all. Actually, it was a gift. It's all grace. That breath you just took, that's more grace. It's all grace. And this changes our perspective. Uh, so they were in denial. And ultimately, it's not the money. It's never the money. Money is minor. The material objects, in terms of their worship and their tithe, represented the greater spiritual reality. And the lack of tithe represented that there was a spirit of holding back. When it came to honoring and living for God, there was a spirit of holding back. It was a spirit of holding back and forgiving other people. There was a spirit of holding back and full integrity. There was a spirit of holding back in prayer. There was a spirit of holding back in worship. There was a spirit of holding back and loving their neighbor. There was a spirit in holding back of blessing the nations. There was a spirit of holding back in spreading the gospel. There was a spirit of holding back. That's what was going on. And the money, well, that's just a tangible expression of the spirit of holding back. And we can be set free in Jesus' name because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and there's joy and there's righteousness and there's peace. God has not designed us to hold back. He doesn't give us a spirit of timidity, but power and love. And God will set people free who want to be set free to not be in the status quo, but to live their lives for the Lord. And on the other side of yes, God does miracles. Jesus just kept telling us about our mindset and how we live. And he said in, uh, this is Luke 6, 38. Jesus summarizes it in one verse. He says, um, and I'm going to find that verse. And here it is. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Freely we have received, freely we give. Generosity glorifies God. Generosity glorifies God. I want to share a testimony, a story of our church, and all glory to God, the last five years, what God has done. First of all, we had a debt that was $2.3 million, and we are completely out of debt. We are completely out of debt. The vision is not just for the church to be out of debt, but for each individual person and family to have a healthy um, life in terms of financially, things will be healthy. And that's why we have FPU, Financial Peace University, and there's been hundreds of people and couples that have walked through this class and learned the biblical principles of how to steward and uh, what kind of, how damaging debt can be and how to have financial freedom. And we're so grateful to see health in so many families. We also had a very minuscule, prudent operating reserve, and now we have a, a robust, a very healthy prudent operating reserve. We praise the Lord. Uh, we have uh, made budget. 
the last five years, which is significant. We also had years of projects that were deferred because when things weren't as healthy financially, we would just say, we can't do them, we can't do them, we can't do them. God has provided, whether it's a roof, whether it's HVAC, whether it's IT, one after another, God has provided. And we're so thankful for the Lord with this. We're, yeah, you can clap anytime and give the Lord praise. Yep. I'm just testifying to what's happened and what God's done together. We're in a spot now where we can have a vision. There's an architect who is so gracious to draw up plans for us. And there's a vision there of things that can happen for next-gen ministries and other ministries. And we're grateful for that. I'm thankful in this pandemic, we've seen your faithfulness and love for God, commitment to God just expressed through giving. And it's made a difference in so many lives. I want to say well done. And specific funds, I'm thinking of our international partners who continue to reach the world. World. I'm thinking of the COVID fund for people who lost their jobs and went through difficulties during COVID. Good Samaritan for people who, let's say, couldn't pay the rent, uh, who are in between jobs. And also our adoption fund. Uh, we have a family in our church who just adopted several girls. And we just celebrate with them. We're able to give them a gift. And just that's what the adoption fund is for. We have many families who have adopted at Grace as well. So God is moving in all these different areas. And they're all part of his kingdom. He's says this, and you don't read this in scripture, very often, this stands out, test me in this. God does not say that in scripture. Test me in this. Test me in this tithe and watch how I will open up the floodgates and the blessings poured out in our church. The blessings are not just financial. If you think about our church in, in this sense, okay, we have our larger gatherings on the weekend and God moves and God changes lives. The church is all about people and transform lives and God moves in that setting, the biggest settings on the weekends. But then we also have many medium-sized groups and some of these groups are outreach focused. Many of these groups are serving focused. We have many medium-sized teams, so many teams who are serving, like over 400 people serving on teams. There's a bond that you build when you serve together. We also have teams for different ages. There's next gen. Think of middle school and high school. There's international student ministries, young adults, uh, young at heart. There's many medium-sized groups. We have classes, men's gatherings, women's gatherings. God moves in the medium-sized groups. And then we have life groups. Life groups are smaller, about 12 people. We've got over 50 groups. And when you start to be with the same people every week and you get into God's word and you pray and you build those friendships, there's so much fruit. And that's really, I think, the best way to connect in a lot of ways at Grace. And then individually, one-on-one, we don't have a lot of programs, but there are so many people here that meet together to pray, to share their lives, for accountability, as iron sharpens iron, mentoring, being mentored. There are so many one-on-one relationships that you don't necessarily, like, sign up for, but they just flow. And a lot of them flow to life groups, and a lot of them flow to medium-sized groups. And God is moving in all these ways. We give him the glory. It's not just that he's working fine. Financially, he is changing lives. And beyond the walls of the church, I'd say five years ago, we were maybe reaching thousands. We're reaching millions with the gospel right now by God's grace. I've seen hundreds of people come to know the Lord. Simple things like a gathering in another country, a massive gathering, and over Zoom, we're bringing the gospel, and people are putting their trust in Christ. We're giving out Bibles, uh, international partners. God is opening the floodgates and changing lives, and he wants us to just be faithful and trust him with the results. All of this is for his glory, but don't miss it. It's a kingdom mindset. It's caring and thinking about the kingdom. And I guarantee you, at the end of your life, 
in your last couple days, as you look back on your life, you're going to notice there were a lot of things that didn't really matter, and there were the things that truly mattered. And if you could be right there, you would be telling yourself, build the kingdom. Build the kingdom. Shrink the stuff that doesn't matter and build the kingdom. That is a mindset and a heart, and it's God's heart because it's what lasts. It's people, and it's his kingdom. And so they're taking this in. It leads to the third belief. We believe humility and serving display the love and character of Christ. Look at verse 12. And again, the people didn't want to move forward. They wanted to stay status quo. God says, then all the nations, expanding the vision, then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. And yet you asked, what have we said against you? You have said... It's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and the Lord heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Their denial again. God, what did we ever say? God says, well, here's what you said, because God hears everything. He hears everything you think, and he hears everything you say. And God noticed that they had an attitude of serving the Lord's futile. Well, why did they say that? Why does anyone say that? Because there's disappointment in the heart. Have you ever had a disappointment heart in the heart, and you said some things out of that disappointment, out of that pain? Well, what were they disappointed about? They heard the Messiah's coming. The Messiah has not come. If God is going to bless you and you haven't had that blessing yet and you feel like you're waiting and that blessing hasn't come, sometimes you get disappointed in the waiting. And they were disappointed. They said, what's the point of serving God? They also saw people flourishing financially, materialistically, people who did wrong, lacked integrity, took advantage of other people, used people. They were, they were climbing the food chain. They were at the top. They were at the power, the positions. And they were doing so many things wrong. And they thought, what's the point? What's God going to do? God doesn't even bring justice with them right now. And, and God kind of calms them down and says, I'm going to take care of those people, right? Those are mine. I'll have the final say. I'll have justice there. And with you, and again, they were disappointed. But what God was helping them to realize is that serving is not just about them. There's a lot of people who start serving God, and they kind of expect some rewards, some affirmations, some congratulations, somebody notice me. And that can be a good thing. When you serve, we together want to serve and affirm and build up and encourage. But sometimes when you serve and you don't get what you thought you would get, focused on ourselves primarily, then God redirects us because serving is about God and how he's worthy and he's good and we serve first unto God. It's nice if somebody gives some money or some affirmation or a compliment. Sure, that's nice, but we don't sit back and wait for those things and also life got hard. There's a lot of people who maybe didn't get what they wanted by serving God and also uh, life got hard. During the pandemic, life got hard 
And a lot of people are just like, uh, I'm, I'm out. I'm not serving. Life got too hard. Let's be the kind of people that even if we get slammed for serving God, even if people throw shade as we serve God, even if life gets hard, we know who we're serving and we're not going to stop serving the Lord. That was the growth point, and there were a remnant of people that gathered around and said, let's keep doing this. Let's live for the Lord. Even if the culture goes that way, let's go with the Lord. And they gathered together, and God saw them. You know, we had an elders uh, retreat this weekend. I'm so grateful for our elders, a united group, a humble group, and a group that's eager to serve, a group that cares for everyone here, a group that prays. And at that retreat, we were sharing just different challenges and thoughts. And I shared in one segment that I've seen in the last 15 years a deterioration spiritually in our country. Have you noticed anything different the last 15 years in our country? Have you noticed any changes? I mean, you can't miss the deterioration spiritually. And I, I shared that I just don't want to watch it continue. I just don't want to sit back passive. I just don't want to, you know... And I know it's God who changes lives, including our own, change our own hearts. And I'm not trying to say that we just flex our muscles and try harder. But I am saying, let's be faithful at this time, in this generation, in this nation. Let's make faithfulness our goal and let's step up. We've been too quiet for too long. The world's been bold about sin. Let's live for Jesus and let's see what God would do right now. And God sees that group of people. And this is what God says. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a parent spares his child who serves. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. I was thinking about the history we have of people who have honored God and served God. And this is a really interesting perspective. Rodney Stark is a respected sociologist. He's written over 30 books, 140 articles. He collected all the data from other sociologists and talks about the difference between people who, in his phrase is, religious people. Let's say people who love God and then people who are rejecting God. And he says, sociologically, these are truths. People who are loving God are, they're a primary source of charitable funds that benefit victims of misfortune, whatever their beliefs. They are dominating the ranks of blood donors. They're less likely to commit crimes. They donate their money and their time more generously to social beneficial programs. They enjoy superior mental health. They are deemed happier, less neurotic, far less likely to commit suicide. They enjoy superior physical health. They have an average life expectancy more than seven years longer than those who are irreligious. They read more. They're less likely to divorce. They report higher degrees of satisfaction with their spouses. Husbands are far less likely to abuse their wives and children. They're also far less likely to have an affair. Students who love God perform better on standardized achievement tests, far less likely to drop out of school, obtain better jobs upon graduation, and are far less likely to be on the unemployment list. And this all summarizes, you abide with Jesus, you will bear much fruit. You abide with Jesus, and you will bear much fruit. Make your focus on the Lord and following him, and the fruit will come. 
We take care of one another, and we look beyond the rules in the walls of this church. Someone made kind of a joke and a comment, but it's true in a prophetic sense. They said, people are not just flocking to church anymore. People are not looking on the weekends like, oh, what church should I go to? Oh, which church? Where do you go? Right now in Auburn, this weekend, maybe 5% are looking for a place to worship God on the weekend. Maybe 5%. And the comment that this person made is that it feels like Christians think that if you just slap a Christian bumper sticker on the back of the minivan and do the traffic laws, everyone's going to follow you to church. It says it's not the case in our culture. It's just because you have a Christian t-shirt or bumper sticker and you, you know, use your left directional, people are not following you to church. you got to go where people are and build relationships. I was in Panera this week and uh, waiting for the order and picking up some lunch for my wife. And there was a man there working at Panera. who was really friendly, a lot of hospitality. And so he started asking me about my plans for the weekend. Of course, we started talking about the weather. Everyone's talking about the weather. And then... I just went for it, and I said, I like to carry around invites to Grace Community Church, and I pulled one out, and I said, hey, have you ever thought about going to church? I said, here's our church. It's in Auburn, and I gave him a little card, and he took a look at it, and he said, no thanks, and he handed it back to me, and that's okay, right? I don't take that personally. You just trust God with the results, and then his coworker said, what did that guy just give you? And he said, invited me to church. And it, that could have been the end, but I thought, we're not ending this way. We're not going out like that. That's not how this story is going to end. So I said to him, well, have you had bad experiences at church? Was there something negative that happened? And he said, no, I took a religion class. It was world religions. And I just felt like, I don't know, if I'm going to believe something, I just need to know that there's facts. And I said, well, actually, I didn't grow up with faith, but I took a world religion class in college, and that was the first time I ever read the Bible. And I started to learn about more of the facts. But I said, the facts? Check out Lee Strobel. He's a guy who's a journalist in Chicago. He set out to undermine and just prove that Christianity is false. And he looked at all the facts and the evidence, and he realized, even beyond the Bible, the evidence, that this is compelling. And now he follows Jesus. He wrote a book. And I said, it's Lee Strobel. And I said, but here's the truth. It's not just facts. It's not just information, as important as those are, because it's not a blind faith. But I said, it's a relationship with God. And I got my Panera lunch. And I'd like to say, he said, wow, I'm coming with you to Grace this weekend. It's not how the story played out. But I share that to say that we go out into the world, love our neighbors, have conversations, and then just meet people where they're at, try to figure out what are their pain points, what are their, what's blocking them, what's their perception of God, and we just talk and love people and serve and trust God with the results. Uh, when God says all the nations... He's expanding our vision. That's what he does through prophets. And think of Abraham. There's the tent. And your tent's important. Your tent is where you live. Your tent is your home. A tent is a place of worship, not just here. It's your relationship with your spouse if you're married. It's the culture where you live. It's your relationship with your kids if you have kids. Your tent is important. There's things to do in the tent. There are, um, God wants to meet you in the tent. And God met Abraham and Sarah in the tent. But also... Abraham was told by God to step out of the tent and look up at the stars. Well, why the stars? Because God was going to bring a child in the tent to Abraham and Sarah at age 100 and age 90. And God was raising up people who would have his heart for the nations, who would bless the nations. And God said, look up at the sky because your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky. And what he was doing was giving his perspective and his love and his vision for Abraham's life. And I encourage you to meet God in the tent, 
But also look up at the stars because there are no limits to what God wants to do in this season for anyone who wants to grow with God. I ask you to pray this week. We've got about 250 kids coming. About 80 are coming from an environment at home where they don't hear about God. They don't know Jesus. They don't have a church to go every week. Eighty are going to come in here. This is sacred ground of what God might do this week to connect with those kids and fill their hearts with his love. Some are serving. Some are praying. It's together. Let's do that. I ask you to pray for homes, the tent, because throughout this pandemic, there's a lot of people who are lonely. A lot of people are single and lonely. A lot of people who are struggling in their marriage who come to me and just say, please pray for us. We're not doing so well in the marriage. There's strain. There's tension. There's tension between parents and kids in some families. Would you pray for homes? Would you pray for this process? Pandemic's like an exile. Every week, more people are coming back to church on the weekend Life groups, medium-sized groups, one-on-one. We are in the process of returning, returning to relationship, coming back to life, returning to serving. The body of Christ has been kind of pushed down in some ways, and we are coming back to life. Would you pray what God would do? No limits this year. No limits. Uh, Would you pray for me personally? I'm going to be on Good Morning America on Friday, and it's an opportunity to share uh, faith, hope in Jesus this week. And I just ask for your prayers, for the words to say. How is God growing you? How is he preparing you? What is God saying to you? Listening to God. Get ready, God says in Malachi 3. Get ready. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are living that you give us living hope. And Father, we confess that so often we've been in denial, we've been stuck, we've been stubborn. And God, we pray today in the power and the name of Jesus Christ that you would break us free for that freedom that comes through your spirit. God, the freedom to love, the freedom to really live the life that is truly life, the freedom to see what is eternal, to see your kingdom, Lord, to unite, to love each other, to build this together. God, do a mighty work here for your glory. And Lord, we know that all of this is because your goodness. Because your goodness, God, we have hope. We receive your love and your presence. Because of your goodness, we follow you, Jesus. We get baptized. We take the next step. Because of your goodness, God, we will celebrate your goodness together. We will sing of your goodness together. We will spread your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.